from KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Donald Trump told journalist Bob Woodward that he knew early on that the coronavirus was deadly stuff, but did not share that information with the public, saying he did not want to cause panic. Woodward recorded the interviews for his upcoming book, Rage, and in other White House news yesterday, a Department of Homeland Security official has filed a whistleblower complaint saying that he was pressured to alter reports that might contradict false claims by the president, including intelligence on Russian election interference and the threat from white supremacists. And Pierre's Ron Elving joins us now to talk about those stories and more. And welcome, Ron. Good to be with you, Michael. Good to have you with us. Well, a lot brewing here and a lot to talk about. Uh, let's talk about Bob Woodward's book first and what's been exposed here. Uh, already, Republicans are defending the president, as can be expected. Uh, Senator, Vice President Biden has called it disgraceful and has um, said essentially that um, it is, um, uh, well, I didn't even think he used, he didn't particularly necessarily use this word, but he said it was heinous. Um, this has brewed up a big political storm, to be sure, but what real impact is it having as you see it? It depends on whether you consider the change that is going to be wrought here in the way people remember Donald Trump or think of Donald Trump as being enough to affect the election. Now, Bob Woodward has been very explicit. He said the demarcation, that was the word he used, that was the deadline for when he wanted to get this story out was November 3rd. Now, of course, we've still got a few weeks ahead, but he wanted to make sure that this book got out before the election. There's going to be controversy. There has been controversy. There's been a lot of pushback from people saying, why didn't you tell us back in February after you'd had a conversation with the president in which he indicated that he clearly knew that the virus was five times deadlier than normal flus. And he told Bob Woodward that back in February. Well, Woodward's explanation is, I didn't know if the president knew what he was talking about. And I didn't know what his sources of information were. And the CDC still wasn't putting out the real story, which is all true. Bob Woodward didn't find out until May how the president knew all of this and did not get the corroboration that he needed until then. So that is one reason he didn't report it in February. But I think without getting too distracted about what Bob Woodward did, we should keep the focus on what the president did and didn't do. He didn't tell the truth about what he knew and told people they didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, well, Woodward brought up the old... Uh uh, notion from Watergate, what did he know and when did he know it? But it seems pretty clear that he knew it was deadly stuff. That was what he called it and uh, said right after that it was more, not more deadly than even a strenuous flu, repeatedly played it down publicly. Uh, we have that and uh, we'll have to see what the impact is going to be. But there is a lot more in this new book of Woodward's Rage uh, that really bears attention. Dan Coates believing, for example, that Putin had something on Trump, though there was no proof. He could see uh, no other explanation. And uh, Fauci uh, essentially saying that Trump had a span that was like a minus number, although he seemed to feel that Trump didn't do anything out of sorts with respect to Corona. Uh, you know, you have to ask uh, how people are keeping all these stories separate because there's so many things that are coming and converging, not, not only because of Woodward's book, but Michael Cohen's book and uh, just a whole host of things that are coming out pre-election. 
Yes, and of course that is the reason they're coming out now. Most of these uh, books are based on longer-term sources of information. Bob Woodward had 17 on-the-record interviews with the president, just an extraordinary number. And Michael Cohen, of course, had many, many years of working deep inside the Trump operation as his personal attorney and fixer. Now, I think people probably know what fixer means, but it means he handled, you know, the dirty laundry. He was handling the stuff that was most embarrassing to Donald Trump when he was just a real estate developer and investor. So these are people with a lot of access, a lot of information, and they're coming out with this information clearly uh, at this time, in some cases, quite deliberately to influence voters, but also, I think, to sell more books, because obviously they're aware there's a chance the president won't be in office that much longer. And if that's true, these authors and their publishers will not be able to sell nearly as many books as they might be able to sell in September of 2020. We're talking with Ron Elving, and uh, the whole sense of stories coming at us, uh, cascading at us, uh, proliferating and so forth, Sometimes it makes it really difficult, even for those of us who have to do uh, reporting or analyzing the news. But this is also a big story with Brian Murphy, the former head of the uh, intelligence uh, services uh, with the Department of Homeland Security, just on Tuesday filing this whistleblower complaint. And at this point, uh, let's talk about what he's put forward here, because this is big news, too. Yes, indeed. And what he is saying is that information that they had at the Department of Homeland Security with regard to the Russian interference in various aspects of American political life, but particularly in terms of social media, in terms of attempting to actually get into voting machines, things of that nature, was not to be shared with the public as one would expect it to be because, well, basically the president didn't like that story. The president didn't like talk about Russian interference. And this was true uh, even before the Mueller report. He always pushed back on that. And he also, of course, saw this as the genesis of the Robert Mueller investigation and in a broader sense, the mood setting for impeachment. So now we have another whistleblower. And you remember the whistleblower in the State Department about the Ukraine affair was how we got a about an eight-month process of impeachment in 2019. I know it all seems like ancient history now, but those words have special code value in the world of Donald Trump. When you say whistleblower, uh, and of course this whistleblower is actually identified, Scott Murphy, and he's naming names. He's saying exactly which political officials told him to cool it uh, with respect to, so, to Russian interference. And, and then there's another story about white supremacists, because as many people have documented, uh, there's a great deal of violent and potentially violent white supremacist militia activity going on in the United States, has been intensely in recent years. And reports on that were going to be suppressed because, again, the president didn't like those stories and didn't want that sort of uh, information getting out to the general public, especially not in an election year. And the second in command uh, under Brian Murphy, Kenneth Cuccinelli, apparently was trying to modify uh, intelligence uh, to make the threat of white supremacy not only seem less severe, but to include information on violent left wing groups. There was the push on that score, too. Could you also maybe talk a bit about the fact that uh, there were some Russian hackings that have come out now? Uh, this is going back to Woodward's book, of course, but we found out that at least two Florida counties uh, were hacked. There was malware in the election of 2016. That's right. They were getting into computers and they were trying to do this on a far, far wider scale, but they were finding it easier. Some 
Some counties, some states do not have as much security on their voting systems or certainly didn't have in 2016. And of course, we all remember the 2000 Florida election where some very lax practices with respect to their election uh, practices, uh, their way of counting ballots, uh, led to us all learning phrases like hanging chads and so forth. And, you know, that held up an election for five weeks. We didn't know who had won the presidency in November of 2000 for five weeks as they tried to do all of this. And some of the systems in some states are pretty lackadaisical, have been. And while we thought a lot of that had been corrected by legislation and a lot of federal spending, uh, we learned that in the new age, uh, it's not so much a paper problem as it is a cybernetic problem, and the Russians are pretty good at that. And these are not just random Russians, by the way. They are people under the direction of uh, government agencies and, in some cases, private enterprises that are funded uh, through oligarchs, very wealthy people who have gotten very wealthy by being supporters of the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. So this is all part of Putin's post-KGB intelligence operation. And this is being done very deliberately, not only in the United States, but in other Western democracies, to undermine the idea of democracy and delegitimize the governments of uh, the Western NATO allies who are arrayed against Russia. So it's all quite deliberate. It's, it's not small-time activity. And once again, we're talking with Ron Elving, who is senior editor and correspondent on the Washington Desk for National Public Radio. If you'd like to join us, we invite you to be part of this conversation. Any questions or comments you might have are welcome, and you can give us a call right now at our toll-free number. The number to join us, 866-733-6786. Again, that's toll-free, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. And when we're talking about Bob Woodward's revelations, we should probably also mention in the book Rage, uh, there was a discussion, and all this is on tape, with President Trump about Black Lives Matter and particularly, specifically about privilege. Uh, I guess Woodward said, you know, we're both white and we have white privilege. and We have to understand the pain and the anger that uh, black people have. And uh, again, this is, the, this is on the tapes. Trump said, you really drank the Kool-Aid, basically, is what he told Woodward. Yes, he says essentially that you have been uh, taken in by a lot of uh, propaganda from the left. Uh, he totally rejects, totally rejects the idea that people such as himself, born very wealthy, Bob Woodward, a Yale man, uh, had special advantages growing up in the 1950s and 1960s. He says he just totally doesn't agree with that, and he doesn't see anything to these ideas of white privilege, and he doesn't think that that means that they need to make a special effort, as Bob Woodward had suggested, to understand black Americans, to understand the African-American experience in the United States, or to bring a certain amount of uh, empathy, was the word he used, to their consideration of how other people feel. Trump rejected that out of hand. That's when he made the Kool-Aid remark and when he said, wow, Bob, you've really drunk the Kool-Aid. He also said, I don't take any responsibility, didn't he? For, I mean, something he, did. He, he, did. he said many times on many different occasions. I guess he doesn't take any responsibility either for revealing a new secret weapon, this system that he disclosed to uh, and his braggadocio to uh, Bob Woodward uh, in 2017, uh, national security uh, team actually got close to uh, nuclear war, according to Woodward's book. Um, but maybe it's even at this point more shocking to know that the president was talking about secret weapons to Bob Woodward. Yes, we hear a little bit. We actually hear a lot about 
Korea, North Korea in particular, but also Trump complaining about South Korea. He keeps insisting as they fly over Seoul that all this, all this, all of these buildings, these freeways, these trains operating, all of this, he says, is because of us. They're ripping us off. We've protected them for years. And look what they've done. They've built this magnificent city and this very highly successful economy. They were flying over Samsung in particular. And he was looking at this campus, the magnificent campus that Samsung Electronics has, and saying, you know, they, they got all that because of us. We shouldn't be doing anything to support them further. We shouldn't have our troops here and so forth. You know, quite stunning stuff, particularly from the standpoint of our military, which regards the investments we've made in South Korea as among the most efficient ways that we have projected uh, American power in the world and among the most efficient ways that we have stood as a bulwark against other uh, sources of military threat. So this is all kind of scandalous to many American military leaders, uh, and we hear from James Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense, four-star general, uh, about that in Bob Woodward's book. Uh, he's been very reluctant and reticent up to now, but he's uh, breaking out in this book. He did actually a little earlier this summer, too, uh, talking about the use of troops to suppress protests in Washington, D.C. So a lot of military... The president also was quoted in this book referring to his... Uh, to his generals as suckers, uh, a word we heard, of course, in Atlantic Magazine the week before being used by the president. And he calls his own generals suckers because of the way they care about the alliances in NATO and in Asia and place those over trade deals, uh, which in Donald Trump's mind are far more important than military alliances. And since you mentioned General Mattis, uh, it's also, uh, it's not like we were hyping Bob Woodward's book, but there's a lot in there, by the way, including uh, 27 love letters uh, back and forth of Kim Jong-un, uh, who uh, called Trump your excellency. Um, but there's also something about Mattis calling uh, a felony stupid uh, the withdrawal of troops from Syria. Um, but I want to get to our callers because I know many of them have questions. And let me first go to get to a tweet, though, uh, from Ben, who says, so Trump's defense is that he wanted to avoid causing panic. How did he get from there to defining the virus as a democratic hoax? That's a bit different than playing it down. Well, indeed. And that democratic hoax, uh, particularly, I remember I was in South Carolina in February for the primary. And on February 28th, the night before the primary vote, the president flew in. Now, of course, there was no question about uh, the Republican side, but he was, flew in to uh, steal a march on the Democratic candidates who were running. And he had a big rally outside of Charleston. And uh, at that rally, he said that the Democrats were handling this virus as their new hoax to take the place of the impeachment story, to take the place of the Robert Mueller investigation. And now none of those things, neither the Ukraine affair nor Robert Mueller's investigation were a hoax by any means. That is a word that has reached new levels of uh, usage in the United States just on the basis of the president's Twitter feed alone. He called it a hoax. Uh, neither of those things were in and of themselves hoaxes, but he called the virus the Democrats' new hoax. And uh, people coming out of that rally, reporters were talking to, and these folks were coming out and talking to journalists, and they were saying, yeah, the virus is a hoax. The virus is a hoax. There's nothing to this at all. We don't need to change our lifestyle. We don't need to wear masks. We don't need to take this seriously. And although the administration, particularly the CDC and the epidemiologists, uh, did turn around on that question very much uh, in the weeks ahead in March, and they got the president turned around so that he stopped telling them they all had to play it down, 
that 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 cost us the crucial weeks of February and March when we could have flattened the curve early and we could have prevented the degree to which this virus has penetrated the whole country. Yeah, Woodward says February was lost. And in fact, by April, uh, President Trump was saying it was going to go away uh, while he was uh, uh, talking about its being uh, previous to that uh, terribly transmissible even by air to Bob Woodward. But let's get a caller on here. Let's get Carrie on from San Jose. Carrie, join us. You're on the air. Hi. I just wanted to say that it's one thing not to create a panic, and it's another thing to put out misinformation and hold super spreader events like the Republican National Convention and some of these rallies and put out lies. And I don't understand how the Republicans can defend Trump's behavior in this. Thank you, Kerry. How are they defending his behavior in this? Ron, you want to stress that? Many of them are defending it by uh, being silent, by ducking reporters' phone calls. You do not see a lineup of people at the nearest microphone to talk about this. But the president does have his hardline defenders. And some of them, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, for example, have gone out and tried to criticize the book, tried to say some of these things might have been taken out of context. Uh, actually, Bob Woodward himself says he waited to report some of these things so that they could be in fuller context. As we mentioned a few minutes ago, he has an explanation for what uh, that may mean to any individual reader for why he did not report all of these things in February and March when the president was saying them to Woodward in private and then saying the exact opposite in public on television and on Twitter uh, on a daily basis. Uh, why didn't Bob Woodward come out and talk about it then? He tries to explain that he wanted a fuller context. And yet, as we have heard many times as journalists, uh, when you don't really have anything else to say about a quote you can't deny because it's on tape, you say it was taken out of context. Yeah, well, Woodward's getting hit pretty hard. Uh, a lot of criticism on social media, particularly. I want to read a couple of comments coming in from listeners on what we're talking about with Ron Elving. Stephen writes, isn't it nice that if we ever have a war, we'll have a president will keep us from being panicked by not telling us the truth, some kind of leader we have here, no Churchill. And Robert writes, let's be clear, downplaying the coronavirus threat does not allay panic. Instead, issuing a national action plan has unnecessarily fueled the spread of the virus with associated health and economic pain and suffering. Ron Elving, always good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michael. It's Ron Alving, senior editor and correspondent on the Washington desk for NPR. We're going to break quickly, and when we come back in just about 60 seconds, we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of seeking a vaccine. A lot of news there as well. Stay tuned. That's up ahead. I'm Michael Krasny. <laughs> 